Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Thinking Aloud About Film. This is our final podcast about the Taiwan Film Festival, Edinburgh. So we've, we've talked about a few of the films in the programme, and today we're going to talk about the rest of the films we've managed to see. We didn't see the whole programme, but but we saw saw quite a few things. Um, so we're going to we be covering two films. Almost the whole programme, actually. There's very little yeah, of, yeah. that we're leaving out. Absolutely. So we're going to talk about three films today. Uh, so Morning in Taipei, um, which is a, a, a silent short from the 1960s. Some home movies from the 1940s and 50s, which uh, I have to admit I didn't see, but Jose did. Um, and The Personals, a, a film from, from the 90s. And then we'll talk a bit about the programme as a whole and, and, and uh, our views on, on the festival as a whole. So should we kick off with Morning in Taipei? Yes, I thought this is a little masterpiece, actually. I thought it was like, uh, you know, incredibly uh, beautiful uh, documentary filmmaking. It uh, has resonances uh, to me um, with something like Listen to Britain. Yeah? Yes. Uh, yeah. Or one of the symphony films of the city, because, you know, it is about a city. Yeah. But the editing patterns and a kind of a love and appreciation for its subjects, you know, and then the way that rhythms are built. I thought it was very beautiful. Yeah, no, I, I really, really liked it. I mean, it was only 20 minutes long. I um, I did wonder whether it was unfinished because the, it does end quite quite abruptly. Uh, and apparently the original soundtrack was lost. Um, but So this is a, a, a new soundtrack, but actually which worked, I thought worked brilliantly. Um, so it's kind of this electronic soundtrack. I love the way, you know, that it... Um... You know, it begins with different people doing different things. The sun coming up and, you know, people getting ready to go for, to work and the exercise and the sunrise. And, you know, and then as the day gets busier, the editing patterns get quicker. Right. So then you see like people go, working in factories and yeah, you get the rush of the city. Yeah. In, in it all. Um, and I think there's a real loving look at everyday people doing their thing and there's a you know and also i think uh, a remarkable uh, record of the city of taipei at a particular point in time it's like a document yeah i th- i thought it was really interesting comparing some of those images with uh things that we've seen in in stuff like uh, in our time that we where the the you know, made in the eighties but set in the sixties. I mean, although it's a documentary, it's fairly clear that some of the some of the scenes are, are staged. Um, he's not just pointing his camera at stuff that's happening. It's all very carefully framed and carefully staged. But yeah, as you say, listen to Britain. I think is a great comparison. Uh, the uh, is it um, people on Sunday? The people on uh, Sunday. Uh, I think even something like Berlin Symphony of a City, mm, right? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And actually, that symphony quality is very evident in the structure of this film. I thought the score was amazing. So the score was by uh, Lim Giong, who, who actually did the score for Ho Shao Shen's Millennium Mambo. Um, so he's a very well-known musician and soundtrack composer. Uh, and it, it was sort of a very, very modern score. It's kind of, a, you know, kind of bleepy electronica. Um, but I, I, I really liked it. I mean, if the, I, I did look to see if that score's available anywhere, because I, I, would, I, would, I would just, it's worth listening to the score on its own. But uh, sometimes when you have a, you know, a '60s film or an, or an older film with a with a modern score, it sometimes doesn't work and sort of, uh, you know, works against it. But I thought actually this this worked really really well, and and the the the, the 
score was was kind of synchronized really well with the editing patterns of the film i thought it i think it's a really beautiful film that will be of interest not only to cinephiles like us but actually also to historians of taiwan yeah there's kind of you know uh, sociological information about a a way of life and structures of feeling that are very much evident so let's move on to the next film a series of home movies so dan nan guang's eight millimeter movies uh, which I saw uh, and uh, I liked very much, uh, though I must say at some point I saw in a not fully concentrated manner. And the reason for that is, is that, of course, they are home movies, right? And they are from the 1930s or earlier. They're obviously a very rich man's hobby, right? So, you know, kind of what you get is the lifestyle of the rich uh, in that period, right? Uh, and sometimes that is, uh, I mean, it's fascinating, uh, but sometimes it's also slightly dis disturbing or, yeah, you see power relations. So, for example, there's the scene where he's shooting these women bathing, right? And they're all naked from the waist up, right? Uh, and it feels wrong somehow, right? You know, uh, it, you, you don't know if the women have been coerced or, they're, you know, washerwomen, or they certainly don't look like equals, right? And there is a kind of a look to the camera and you just feel it's, you know, some some rich man perving on these poor, pe poor women, right? I suppose there's also the thing about art and, you know, nudity and wonder and whatever, but... It felt too much like the, the, the class element, which, you know, normally doesn't bother me. I mean, I love stories of the rich and famous and Rolls Royces and mansions and, you know, whatever. I, I You know, that is not a turnoff for me. But actually, that combined with the other element made it slightly creepy. I started watching this, but the, the fact, I mean, obviously they're silent, but there was, there was no soundtrack, no, no music. Uh, I know these were screened live in Edinburgh with, with, with live music which i'm sure worked really well uh but watching them in complete silence i, I just wasn't uh, wasn't really ready to spend my saturday night doing that <laughs> uh, it's i mean it, it is interesting because i think the, the home home movies as i mean like i say i can imagine the, the the you know the fascinating social history because this would have been showing taiwan under japanese occupation i, I guess um and and it, it, it is interesting i mean for, I, I, my there are sort of um, home movies from my family, which are actually in the in the BFI or in the Yorkshire Film Archive now, and, and uh, which was done in the thirties and forties, and it is you know it is it is fascinating, but it's like really fascinating to people who lived in that area and people who are related to the people in the films. Um, how fascinating it is, more generally, I don't know, but I, I can I can I can really imagine that, that these were fascinating, um, and uh, you know. It, if if it had occurred to me, I would, I would have like messaged on Facebook one of the many silent film musicians I know to say, can you can you come on Zoom and play the piano for me while I watch these films? <laughs> I think I think, I'm sure some of them are at a loose end. <laughs> again, I think historians will find it invaluable because again, you know, it it does convey the lifestyle of a class of people from the inside. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I think anybody who is making a film set in this period or, you know, who is writing a novel set in this period, I mean, the, the films give, offer invaluable information. Exactly. And, that, and that, that's also, I mean, that's been 
the kind of experience I've had with the, the, the films that we've donated to the archive that, that they get used, you know, clips from them have been used in, in multiple films just to give local colour or to use sort of show what the period was really like. And are you talking, are your home movies from the 60s or the... They're from the 40s, right. which is what makes them interesting. Yes. And, okay. and quite rare. Yeah. Uh, because you really did have to be someone with money to be able to afford an 8mm camera and buy the film and develop the film in that period. <laughs> the, the, yeah, there's a bit of a backstory there. <laughs> so we now uh, turn uh, to The Personals, uh, a film by Chen Kuo Fu from 1998, uh, which I found both fascinating and difficult. Yeah, so it's one of those films that I, I could say I loved almost every moment of it. And then I still found myself getting lost or leaving it. It's like one of those books that it takes you like five tries to finish. So there's an, an interesting disjunction there. And I kept asking myself, why? Like, you know, if it is so interesting moment by moment, why didn't it absorb you? I mean, essentially the plot is this, this young professional woman wants to find a partner and is, is advertised in, in, in a personal column and has a series of dates with with men that are or mostly men that are unsuitable in various sorts of ways pretty much the entire film is comprised of a series of, of unsuccessful dates and uh, i have to say yeah i mean I, I did i did enjoy it but after about 20 minutes i was thinking is is it going to be like this all the way through? Yes. <laughs> and you know, yeah, and it was. And I think that's possibly why it was slightly frustrating that you're, you're, because you have to, yeah, you're not really introduced to any of these people. You just go from date to date, um, and it's always her, obviously, with 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 a different guy, or in a couple of cases, a woman. But what happens on those dates is usually interesting and is is often funny and and or or, or slightly disturbing. Um, and I also imagine that. If you were living in that society at that time, you would rec- there were probably a lot of resonances about the dating scene and about sexual relationships and about you know women becoming more independent and men's attitudes and and and, and so on, which we're kind of missing. Although you you know you, you get the point and it, and it is enjoyable and it reminded me a bit of something like almost like Fleabag or something like that, where it's it's this just this it's about this woman and her and how she's relating to these men and, and how they're relating to her. It's... It goes through the gamut of types and the ones that you'd expect. Yeah, there's there's a pimp and a fetishist and a teacher and, you know, and then, of course, the joke is this young man appears, but then it's his father who's looking for a wife. And There's a guy who turns up with his mother and his mother does all the talking. Exactly. And, uh, I think my favourite was the guy who's talking about his hobbies and like his main hobby is, is drinking. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, you, you, must, you must have another hobby other than drinking. So like, oh, yeah, I like, I like uh, watching uh, porn. <laughs> it's very entertaining. It's very, I thought, beautiful to look at. Yeah, it has like this olive grays and these reds. And, you know, it basically all takes place in the same bar or, or a pub type situation. I think, I think there's two or three locations i think but i and i imagine there's a kind of slight social thing there that sometimes it's a cafe and sometimes it's a bar and sometimes it's a restaurant maybe but the locations repeat very often yeah yeah, yeah. uh and she has a line i think it says that at some point like you know you always want to go to the same place hoping to meet him it's very beautifully filmed uh the actress rene lieu is phenomenal you know it's an extraordinary performance kind of witty and natural and 
you know i mean it's it's a tour de force of a performance i mean she's a star in this film and she was a pleasure to watch and then you know what bothered me that i had to see it again is these complications are introduced right so you know she actually meets this beautiful man who has spent time in jail but then you're not told that he did anything you're told that his father did something and he took on the jail sentence so actually He's innocent, but he's embarrassed, whatever. She decides to have sex with him, and she ends up crying in the bathroom. And, you know, to me, it's almost like that wasn't clear, like she couldn't go through with it, or you see the man just putting on his trousers and leaving her, and she's crying, and, you know, she's crying so much it reverberates throughout the whole uh, hotel they're in. Uh, And then you find out that she'd had an affair with the married... Spoilers. (laughs) That she'd had an affair with a married man um, who left her pregnant and she had to have an abortion uh, because he seemed to disappear from his life. And then, of course, you find out why he disappeared. He died. So, you know, so uh, her finding... Her uh, trying to find someone else is an attempt to replace what cannot be replaced. And, you know, she gets some closure at the end uh, from the wife. So on the one hand, you know, it's a a playful social ironic commentary on dating and, you know, relationships and and so on. Uh, On the other hand, I think cinematically kind of complex. Yeah, and I I think I want to read you a quote if you don't mind, because I came across I came across this really uh, fascinating uh, review by Shelley Kreiker. Lighting is brilliantly designed. One of the film's central concerns is the the pleasures and dangers of watching and being watched. So from the opening shot in which the camera peers through a bathroom window and catches Leo undressing, the viewer is clearly implicated as a voyeur. So the film then articulates a complex structure based on voyeurism with do at the center as both object and subject of the voyeuristic gaze, both of which positions seem to alternate, empower, and victimize her. So she starts by quitting her job as an ophthalmologist, a technologist enforcer of correct vision. Uh, she watches and listens to the parade of prospective suitors, enjoying their intimate revelations. She imagines herself under a similar scrutiny as she leaves a series of messages on the answering machine of her former lover. She finds herself the recipient of her former teacher's confidences. And finally, she discovers that someone completely unexpected is in fact monitoring the phone messages that she had left. So there is a power in viewing, in manipulating the technologies of surveillance. But there is also, for do, a liberating power in inverting this relationship, in being viewed. I feel like a voyeur, she said, he in the light, me in the shadows. But how do I get into the light? Yeah, I thought that was that's really good. Mm, you, you that's know, interesting. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. it completely makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And of course, the director uh, turns out is a prominent film critic who would have definitely kind of played yeah with all of those things. So the question is still then: Why does the film not quite work as a as a viewing experience? I mean, I kept wondering: Would it have worked had I had I seen it on a big screen? You know, where you're immersed in in the face, you know, was it something about the way 
I viewed it. Maybe so, because if you're because it 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 just keeps repeating and in quite a nuanced way, and so I think if you were watching it on the big screen and being forced to concentrate more and and you know not being distracted, maybe maybe it would work better. Yes, I mean, if, like I said, it's a film that at every moment is interesting and pleasurable, and that nonetheless you have to force yourself to return to. Yeah, that you you know that maybe the repetitiveness of the situations means that you drop it, you know, and then you continue it the next day or a few hours later or yeah, and then you drop it and then like you have to start, you know. So so I found it, you know, a bit of hard work even though moment by moment I couldn't quite find fault with it, yeah. So there, there might be something over there about the narrative structure that doesn't quite work or yeah. And certainly, I think the revelation of the affair and, you know, the dispersion or the expansion of voices at the end, that didn't work and wasn't quite consistent with what had gone on before. Yeah. So uh, there might be something to be said there. Uh, but let's turn now to the festival as a whole. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's been been really interesting. As you say, we, we've not we've not seen everything. The one, the one we didn't manage to find time for was, was Hill of No Return, unfortunately. But um but but yeah, I think as as a whole, it's been it's been great. When you look at the whole program, including the the four that we'd seen previously, so the Dangerous Youth, Foolish Bride, Dust on the Wind, and Type I Story, which are all amazing films in different in different ways. And and I think it's uh, you know it's I do think it's a really well put together program. Having those two, essentially having those two, you know, because you've got to have a Ho Shao Shan film and an Edward Yang film because they're the two directors people have heard of. Um, but having those, but surrounding them with the with the 60s films and with the with the other 90s films to show there's a different sort of Taiwanese cinema and the more uh, the the more recent film like Splendid Floats and plus the kind of the historical the archive footage I, 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 yeah I think it's a very interesting program. I thought it was a wonderful program. Uh, there wasn't a complete dud. I mean, you know, I didn't like Peony Birds, uh, which will release as a separate podcast. You know, but. You know, it's a serious film with lots to recommend it. I mean, it, it wasn't it wasn't a cheap film or a thoughtless film or an exploitative film or, you know, it's just a film that, you know, didn't quite work for me. Uh, so even that, I thought, was like, a, a you know, an interesting and legitimate choice. I think if you are someone who's interested in female filmmakers, even Peony Birds is a film to see, yeah? Uh, so, so I was very happy with uh, the whole program. Uh, I hope they continue it. Uh, I thought it was it was imaginative to have both a digital element and a live element, bring in a way the best of both worlds while kind of keeping access uh, open. Uh, I really appreciated uh, the documentaries and the and the home movies. Uh, so I think it's a. Um, yeah, I thought it was wonderful, and I'm uh, very grateful to the organizers, really, for kind of making it available to us. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Any last thing? Um, no, I don't think so. Yeah, so very, very interesting festival. Thanks thanks to the, the festival for making things available, and thanks to Quan Ping for talking to us the other week. And uh, I say, I hope they continue. Yes, and uh, yeah, good luck and best wishes. Uh, and now, thank you all very much for listening. Uh, we will return with our regular program in the forthcoming podcast. Bye-bye. Bye.